Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. All right, welcome back to Millennial Movie Club. I'm Jazz Zapatos, and my favorite member of NSYNC was Lance. I'm Dan Levine, and in high school, I was in a classic rock cover band. Wow. What was it called? Argument Clinic. Ooh, I like that. Uh, I think we played one show. It wasn't a super popular (laughs) band, obviously, but we did what we could. Well, that's one thing I love about this podcast is that I get to learn fun things about you, Dan. And 10 Things I Hate About You is the movie we're talking about today. One of the quintessential teen rom-com, whatever you want to call it, of the 90s and loved by all. Or most. Most. Many. Many. After looking up reviews, I would say many, not most, but many. I would say this is probably one of my favorite teen movies of all time. Wow. I feel like I don't have the same feeling towards 10 Things I Hate About You. I think maybe I feel that way about Cheese All That. Really? Yeah. Yeah. 10 Things I Hate About You. Same trope. It's the same thing. And you know what's weird is that I can fully recognize that this movie is in no way original or a cinematic breakthrough of any kind, but for whatever reason, the nostalgia ties are so strong, and I'm sure it has something to do with wanting to be wooed by Heath Ledger, but we'll get into that. Daniel, why don't we set the scene? Absolutely. Let's go. Kat Stratford is beautiful, smart, and quite abrasive to most of her fellow teens meaning that she doesn't attract many boys. <laughs> okay. Woo! Yikes. Unfortunately for her younger sister, Bianca, house rules say that she can't date until Kat has a boyfriend. So strings are pulled to set the dour damsel up for romance. Soon, Kat crosses paths with handsome new arrival, Patrick Verona. Will Kat let her guard down enough to fall for the effortlessly charming Patrick? I think that they kind of left out a huge part of that movie, though. Right. <laughs> It gets us where we need to be. For sure. This movie was directed by Gil Junger. This is actually his directorial debut. And he turned it down. Go on. Yeah, I'm sorry. He he turned it down uh, because he wasn't interested in making a typical high school movie. But then he was kind of like, he loved the script and he thought it was actually way more than that. The script was written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith, lady power duo, and also, of course, William Shakespeare. And William Shakespeare and... Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith went on to write Legally Blonde as well. Wow. Yeah. I like them already even more. Empowering scripts for empowered women. Even though the plot line is inherently not very feminist, I would say they definitely made the women feel way more empowered. Even more than not feminist, it is a little misogynistic. (laughs) And yeah, so they made a huge jump. Whether they got to feminism, I don't know. (laughs) Right. They did what they could. We've got a pretty stacked cast. So we've got Kat Stratford, played by Julia Stiles, or The Shrew, if you would. Uh, We know her from the Jason Bourne movies, Mona Lisa's Smile, Silver Linings Playbook. Save the Last Dance. Her little sister, Bianca, Larissa Olenek. We know her from The Secret World of Alex Mack, one of our beloved Nickelodeon shows running from 1994 to 98. Also the Babysitter's Club. Yeah, she was in kind of everything that you would think she could be in. Like she was in Boy Meets World, Malcolm in the Middle. She was in Pete and Pete, which is one of my favorite shows. I think she made the rounds. And at the time, she was wildly popular. And for little boys like me, a huge source of crush. Huge source of crush. Yeah, I feel like she did all of the greatest things and then was like, I'm gonna bow out gracefully. Yeah, she's bounced. Young Cameron, played by uh, just the most lovable Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is one of those child stars who just grew up so functional and mentally healthy. I agree. I think he's also one of the only child stars that I know who was a cute kid and then grew up to be very handsome. It's very hit or miss with child stars. You know, you kind of like cross your fingers and hope. I mean, have you seen the kid from Jerry Maguire? Have you seen the kid from Sixth Sense? Hail Jasmine? God, he's the best. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he grew up awesome. Just a different vibe. Yeah. No, Joseph Gordon-Levitt stole our hearts back in the day in Third Rock from the Sun back in 1996. And then, of course, would go on to star in movies like 500 Days of Summer, Inception, 5050, Don John. And you're right, he's aged. 
beautifully. Chef's kiss. Moving on, Cameron's good buddy Michael, who is the one gracious enough to take him under his wing, show him around the school. This is, of course, played by David Crumholtz, who, most importantly, above all else, we know as Bernard in the Santa Claus. Of course. A lot of sexual awakenings, thanks to that elf. Whenever I think of the Santa Claus, I just rewatched it recently, but I just like have very specific visual memories of like the hot chocolate maker with the cookie that comes out of the CD-ROM and just Bernard <laughs> being kind of like a wise ass, uh, but very magical elf. I feel like David Krumholtz has the shtick down of like, I'm like the sassy Jewish guy. And so they were like, of course, naturally, Santa's number one elf. He like- leans so <laughs> hard into it in this movie too. Great comic effect. But eventually I'm like, oh man, bump the brakes. I don't think Santa's workshop would be nearly as successful or run nearly as efficiently if a sassy Jewish elf wasn't running the place. So agreed, a hundred percent agreed. We also know him from Superbad, Harold and Kumar. How often do you think he gets like, oh Bernard? My hunch is that he gives off kind of a harsh vibe now, so that he doesn't. It's too damn bad. You should have thought about that before you became a staple of our childhood. Sorry. Moving on, we've got the hot douchebag of the movie, Joey Donner, played by actor Andrew Keegan, who actually was just as modely as his character was. He began his career as an infant, appearing in print advertisements for Gerber baby products. Oh, okay. He would eventually go on to play romantic interest in shows like Step by Step, Moesha, Boy Meets World. You get the picture. He's a very pretty man. Yeah, he's also an Independence Day. And another fun fact, so Cameron refers to someone dating Kat as kind of like extreme dating. And in 2005, Andrew Keegan acted in a film called Extreme Dating. Very prophetic. Interesting. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, we have the late, great Heath Ledger. Rest in power, you beautiful man, playing Patrick Verona. He's known for his work in The Patriot, A Knight's Tale, Brokeback Mountain, and of course played the Joker in The Dark Knights. This was his first American movie, and he beat out Josh Hartnett for the role. Wow. They kind of have similar features. Yeah, I think that they were kind of worried about him being like too badass and sexy too hot too charismatic little did they know all those things make for a really great movie what a terrible instinct this guy's just too dreamy to play the romantic yeah yeah right yeah i mean i could also see why like someone like that can't really be as ostracized as he was but josh hartnett right that's a good point (laughs) And also, he acted alongside Joseph Gordon-Levitt in The Dark Knight, which is interesting. Wow. How have I never put that together? Yeah, the Joker and Robin just teaming up. And it, honestly, it's kind of reminiscent of their characters in 10 Things I Hate About You. It's like the little sidekick, you know, not quite the man, but the boy. And the guy who seems super kooky, crazy, evil, but actually has a soft side deep down. I don't know that the Joker has that. I loved in this movie their kind of like brotherly dynamic. I mean, they hate one another at first and then Eventually, he's got like these lines where he's like, he's not half the man that you are. It's like, whoa, when did that happen? Yeah, there's definitely some big brother, little brother advice giving moments. It's a good dynamic for sure. Of course, you know, I could go on for days about who's in this movie, but we also have a sweet young Gabrielle Union, Allison Janney as ugh, just the hilarious school guidance counselor who's constantly writing porn on her laptop. Larry Miller playing the very overbearing father and Susan May Pratt playing Kat's BFF. I've got one more. Kyle Keese, or Kyle Cease. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he is the only actor who acted in both this movie and Not Another Teen Movie. <gasps> He's the guy who golfs. Uh, what's his name? Doobie? Gobi? Doodle? Go-Go? Fuck. Hold on. What is his name? I don't know. Bogey. Wow. Yes. His name's right. Bogey because he golfs right. and Bogey's a golf term. Not Another Teen Movie is one of my favorite dumb movies ever. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I wish I didn't make that. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Something to know about the main plot of this movie is it's borrowed directly from Taming of the Shrew, a Shakespeare play. So it depicts kind of the courtship of Petruchio and Katerina, this headstrong shrew. And initially, Katerina is an unwilling participant in the relationship. However, Petruchio tames her with various psychological and physical torments. You know, classic rom-com shit. Yeah. The subplot features a competition between the suitors of Katarina's younger sister, Bianca, who is seen as the ideal woman. So I've got some reviews to read to you, Daniel, if I can be so bold. Oh, please, yeah. Starting with Stephen Hunter of the Washington Post, writes, a movie that looks outward, that leads you elsewhere, out of the self, toward literature and life. All right, that's enough. (laughs) 
I was shocked by this review. Yeah, okay. You have an English degree. So what does that mean? Right. I could rewrite that review right now already. A movie that talks about life inward and outwardly, introspectively together. Right? Like, that's oh, like the same thing. It almost makes me like physically sick. <laughs> it's good. Feel all the feelings. You got to taste all the colors of the rainbow on this podcast. Yeah, I'm salty towards that guy, though. <laughs> I'm umami. Okay. <laughs> Next, of course, second up is always Roger Ebert, who I know you're excited for this one, who writes, the movie is charming despite its exhausted wheeze of an ancient recycled plot idea. It almost but not quite achieves liftoff against the gravitational pull of the time tired story formula. Sometimes it's a mistake to have acting this charming. The characters become so engaging and spontaneous, we notice how they're trapped in the plot. Whoa. Which I think is kind of brilliant. This dude is great. This dude fucks. Yeah, that guy really fucks. It literally is just the same plot line that every other movie was doing, one after the other, of two guys make a bet. One guy pays another guy to take out this girl, finds out he really likes her. She finds out she hates him. Like, this is such a tired plot. There's a lot of talent in there, and they are just stuck in this mire of trite teen bullshit. Whoa. Yes. I mean, I think that what saves this movie is really witty dialogue. There's so many really, really funny lines in this, not just like 90s funny, like really, really funny stuff. Some people mentioned that the reason why this movie was so successful is because of the chemistry of the actors. And apparently they just had a blast together. They just loved one another. And you can sense it. I feel like movies and TV always have a little bit of an extra appeal to people when you can sense that the cast likes each other and that they're having fun making it and it makes you want to be a part of it and like be on set with them and be in the movie that's my toxic trait that i just always think that if i was on these sets people would really like me i bet they would like you daniel thank you i think they'd like you too so there was already one shrew in that movie and that was enough Shrew is such a hilarious word. And not one that I would have ever found offensive until we're saying it out loud now. And I'm like, ooh, it just sounds harsh when I say it. It's like a really tough word to hear. On to review number three from Amazon by reviewer named RJ. He gave this movie two stars with a review titled, A Movie Your GF Would Force You to Watch. He writes, this is 100% a chick flick movie. To most men, this movie would bore you to tears unless you're hoping the girl you're watching it with will dot 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 continue to hang out with you after it's over. If you're a guy by yourself, I'd say skip this one. Thanks, RJ. Why do people use like ellipsis when they're just going to say the thing? I don't know. Listen, RJ, we know you're listening. So for one, nobody's making you watch the chick flick. If these shrews out here are making you watch a chick flick before they let you get in their pants, like you're better than that, man. Just move on to the next. Okay. You want to jump into the plot? Let's move into the plot. First things first, I had no idea this movie was set in Seattle until this watch. Me neither. And maybe the most beautiful place in Seattle ever. Seriously. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I just assumed growing up like any movie that was set in a beautiful place on the water was California. Me too. And it was, there were some parts shot in California, but almost everything was shot in real locations here. And most of it was in Seattle. Right. Like we pan this beautiful skyline and this water view. We see the Space Needle and this school that literally looks like Hogwarts. It does look like Hogwarts. And all of this is made even more magical because One Week by Bare Naked Ladies is playing in the background. Oh, yeah. Pull up next to Kat Stratford. Kat Strat. She's, of course, like setting herself up. Like she's the bad girl blaring bad reputation. So in my book, instant hero. Pulls up to a bunch of like basic girls and throw daggers at him. As much as I'd like to think that I was the Cat Stratford, I was definitely one of the teeny boppers, but I was looking at Cat Stratford like, man, I wish I had the balls. Yeah. Hop up into this beautiful school of Hogwarts, which in this is called Padua, which is from Taming of the Shrew. Uh, yeah, that's right. There's Shakespeare littered all over this movie. All over the place. Tons of the dialogue, like I burn, I pine, I perish. Or like, sweet love, renew thy force. Now, of course, that I have my very prestigious theater degree, I caught it. I just thought it was that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was just lame. Well, I think it's a little of both. Right. And also, the last names <laughs> of Cat and Bianca is Stratford, which William Shakespeare was born in Stratford-upon-Avon. And Patrick's last name is Verona. Verona is where Romeo and Juliet was set. And also, there's another Shakespeare play called Two Gentlemen of Verona. Yeah, a lot of Easter eggs. We're basically 
smashing you over the head with the fact that this movie was based on a Shakespeare play. Shakespeare plays are all about dick. This movie is all about dick. We get it. Lots. We hop up into the guidance counselor's office, Miss Perky, played by the incredible Allison Janney. And Cameron, young Cameron, is waiting to be sort of checked in on his first day at this new school. And she's making him wait as she types. She's writing like a smut novel. Smut. She yeah. writes on her old school laptop. As his hand slid up her creamy white thighs, she could feel his huge member pulsating with desire. <laughs> this movie, it must have been right on the edge of PG-13 because there's a lot of stuff in here. Right. I was actually shocked by that rating. It also right away it's just like this school isn't your normal school like teachers can curse here and they don't have to be nice to you right you can flash your teacher and have little to no consequences yeah it's totally fine spoiler alert now's as good a time as any to let you know that this episode will be packed with spoilers so if for some bizarre reason you haven't watched this movie it probably means you never got your ears pierced at Claire's in which case go watch this movie and come back we'll be here just waiting for you so young Cameron it's his first day at school. He shoot from the office and immediately we meet another new student, Patrick Verona, played by Darling Heath. And he is just mm, delectable. Boyish Heath Ledger, who is just full of life and Viral. cockiness and sarcasm. What I love about this is that it is like the most teen, teen movie. However, for whatever reason, they decided to go like way left field with the school clicks. We meet Michael, who is going to be showing Cameron around on his first day, giving him a lay of the land. And as opposed to like in last episode, we had Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. We had the cheerleaders, the jocks, the drama club. In this school, we have the beautiful people, the coffee people, the white Rastas, the Cowboys, and the future MBAs. And so for me, I was just like, is this like a Seattle in the 90s thing? But if anybody who's listening right now is in Seattle in the 90s and can confirm that this is a regionalism, please let us know. And if you're a white Rasta, let us know how you've survived this long. Yeah, Michael is leading him around and painfully not cool. And he even got kicked out of the future MBAs. This is his chance with a new kid who doesn't already know how lame he is. Kind of like feel like he has some authority. But he just seems like somebody plucked him out of an episode of Seinfeld and was like, here you go. Yeah, he's like a little Larry David, but a great friend. Cameron sees Bianca and time slows down. You know, the music swells. He's just, it's love at first sight, which is very akin to what would happen in a Shakespeare play. That would have happened if I had seen Alex Mack in real life too. In human form or like metallic slime form? Honestly, I'll take her as she is. Either one. Whatever she wants to be. Yeah. (laughs) And he's in love with her because at first he sees her and he's immediately like, there's more to her than you know. You haven't even talked to this girl yet. Right. And Michael's trying to tell him like, no, dude, this girl is super vapid. She's definitely not super deep as far as we can tell, or she's just not letting on that she's deeper. She certainly evolves throughout the film, not in a really believable way, to be honest, but she does change. Yeah. I think too, there's probably something to her where she is trying hard to be on the complete opposite side of the spectrum of her sister. She's really trying to resist that. And in doing so, she just becomes very surface level. But Cameron does not want to hear it. He knows that there's something deeper about her, which, you know what? It's kind of refreshing to see that play out in a high school boy because I think typically we see it slash experience it as the high school girl who sees the hot guy and is like, he's so deep. Like there's so much to him. And we fantasize these conversations and the poetry they would write us. And then in real life, they're kind of a boner. She has made a conscious effort to just kind of focus on how attractive she is, I think. Right. I think too, I mean, we know that their mother left a couple years ago, which makes sense because the dad is so harsh on them, so overprotected. They're not allowed to date until they graduate is the initial rule. He, I guess, is some kind of doctor OBGYN because he's constantly delivering crackhead teen babies. But we know he doesn't want his daughters to end up pregnant. But also there's definitely this sense of like he couldn't control the fact that his wife left him. So he really wants to keep his daughters by his side. He doesn't want them leaving, going across the country for college. He doesn't want them going on dates. He just wants to control what he can control. I think that's like a really generous interpretation and I'll go with that. (laughs) I mean, because there isn't really any other reason why her mom isn't dead. Wait, what? Meaning like when the the screenwriters were were deciding, it's like, you know what? Their mom's not in the picture. It's like, oh, she dead? It's like, actually, you know what? This would help to explain this part about his character. Let's just say she she left. Right. Why he's so eccentric and bizarre. 
So in any case, Bianca is rebelling in all ways, at least, you know, trying to in the ways that she can, which is by climbing the social ladder and being super hot. And something that I kind of appreciated was they all look different. Not in the sense that like, oh, there's diversity in this movie, which there is, not not a lot. But more so in the sense that like now, I feel like girls are all the makeup trends, like cutting the cheekbones, the blending of the contouring and all of these things. Everyone's doing their makeup like the exact same way, i.e. Kardashians, which I feel like they have come up in every single episode of this podcast so far. Not it's, on They're purpose. ubiquitous. It's impossible. Not they're to everywhere. Talk about it's them. so hard to ignore them. But there is definitely like a look now, like the bodycon dress, the this eyeshadow, the fake lashes, the Botox lips, the, this, the, the cheekbones, all these things. And I'm just looking around at all the girls in this movie and they all look so natural and different from each other and they're all like beautiful but just just naturally beautiful which was like kind of refreshing yeah definitely i also think that alex mack i'm just gonna keep calling her alex mack that's fine with me alex mack i think set the trend not to this nearly the same extent as the kardashians did but her look was like mirrored a million times over in high schools but then you have like gabrielle union who's gorgeous as well and then julia styles yeah. who looks totally different and is also gorgeous I, I totally agree julia styles looks like she has no makeup on this entire movie except for maybe at the prom and who could have guessed that a woman without makeup on would be <laughs> appealing? She's got pain on her overalls. Right. Yeah. She literally does at one point in this movie. Yeah, she does. Oh, come on. She's Let's got not glasses. Forget. Yeah. She's got glasses. She's just angry and artistic. <laughs> Are they even two different movies? She's all that and 10 Things I Hate About You. Because the more we talk not about really. it, the more it just seems like complete plagiarism. Anyway, we learn pretty early on that these two sisters are not allowed to date, as previously mentioned, which is a big old bummer. And Cameron already is like starting to sort of his cute little mind is starting to percolate on how he can change this. Cut to the most amazing teacher ever. And I mean, I don't know that he's like actually the you know, the best teacher in terms of being a teacher. But like anytime we're in a scene in this man's classroom, I love it so much. It's so funny. He's so harsh on the students and he hates the good looking guy who's making cats life hell. <laughs> but he also kind of hates her too. He doesn't yeah. really like anybody, which is great. I just love that. Joey Donner is such a little douche canoe. And this teacher shuts him down and he's the only one that really like shuts him down you only see him get defeated when this teacher kind of basically verbally bitch slaps him and it's so gratifying i feel like he doesn't really like his job very much he likes to rap shakespeare that was cool he is not a robin williams dead poet society teacher no he's not a goodwill hunting no no <laughs> joey douche canoe donner has made a bet with another boy that he's basically going to take Bianca's virginity. He starts showing her some attention and it really just makes her feel like, oh my God, why can I not date? So their dad, in an act of- Convenient plot device? <laughs> yeah, precisely. He decides to change the rule that it's no longer they can date after they graduate, but Bianca can date when Kat dates, which he thinks will be second Wednesday after never. So Cameron decides he's going to learn French so that he can start tutoring Bianca in French and ask her out. And he's like basically kind of makes this plan with her. Like it's not really a surprise. He doesn't tell her the ins and outs of how he's going to go about it. But there is kind of like a more or less a promise struck up here, which she's touched by. Yeah. And like they don't really have time in this movie to dick around. He's like, I'm interested in you. I want to date you. This is the stipulation that your father created. This is how we're going to do it. Boom. Yeah, which to me is also like a very kind of Shakespearean thing where it's like we fall in love at first sight and it's like we will be together. Bianca's more or less on board. She's like tickled, but I wouldn't say she's like, I love you too. Yeah, she thinks it's like an interesting pursuit, not too blown away by it. Now, Michael is very invested in making this happen. He approaches Joey Donner in the cafeteria. You know, it's reading that Andrew Keegan didn't know how to draw a dick. And he had to learn for this movie. In the scene, David Krumholtz had to teach him how to draw a dick that he would later draw on his face. So you're saying that this poor guy had to teach this guy to draw a <laughs> dick so that he could properly draw one on his face. I'm kind of like overwhelmed with how many ways we can go with this, like which parts we can explore. The fact that someone doesn't know how to draw a dick who owns a dick, the fact that this person who is teaching this other supposedly cool person how to draw a dick and they have to be the nerd that gets shit on, I don't know. It's like who is really the cool guy? That's what this movie's really about. David Krumholtz 
was also in Superbad, and I wonder if maybe he actually drew all those dicks for those actors too. Whoa, yeah, totally. Do you have to teach Jonah Hill how to draw dicks? Could be. He's not only an actor, but he's an on-set dick tutor. Which is not what you think. No. <laughs> it's a misleading title. While he cannot draw a dick, is drawing a perfect set of tits on a lunch yeah. tray. And like getting turned on by them. Right, right. Dude's about to straight up fuck a lunch tray. <laughs> this is what goes on in this high school. Sorry, sorry. sorry. No. I Titty like fuck a right. lunch tray. Yes. My bad. Please. There's good to My apologies. Yeah. Michael and Cameron are trying to figure out how they're going to get Kat a boyfriend. And he's like, you need to get someone to date her that is just as crazy and unapproachable as her. And they look over at Heath Ledger. He whips out a switchblade and stabs his frog. He's new to the school. There are all these rumors flying around about him that he was in prison, that he killed a guy, that he ate a whole duck. Everything but the beak and feet. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. This guy seems like he's been at this school all of 10 minutes, but... I think that that actually holds up for me. I think that when new people came to the schools that I was going to, rumors spread like wildfire. They usually embraced it because it only made them sound cooler. Yeah, more dangerous. Um, Like, yeah, that mm -hmm. guy birthed his own baby and ate the placenta. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, let's go talk to him. Now that's who I want to be friends with. Yeah. So dreamy and mysterious. Yeah, that's why his skin looks so good. It's because he ate placenta. (laughs) He's in that QAnon. Let's go talk to him. (laughs) Right. So we're, we're meant to believe like this kid cannot be tamed. This shrew cannot be tamed at all. Right. Which is funny because like he doesn't particularly look scary or he doesn't like have tattoos. They don't dress him in a particularly scary way. Like he's a fairly pretty guy. He does run his fingers over that flame, which is cool. Right. He plays with fire. He's also from Australia, which we know like if he's anything like Crocodile Dundee, the man is made for danger. I mean, have you seen the animals that come out of that place? Oh, everything in Australia wants to kill you. So they decide that he's going to be the person that takes takes Kat and tames her and Michael says they need a backer. So they go to Joey. They don't have any money. Right. He offers him initially like 20 bucks to take her out. I was like, is this just the 90s or was that cheap? I wrote down the same thing. $30 question mark exclamation mark. That doesn't even cover a date. Then he gets them all the way up to 50 bucks. Whoa. That's not a movie in Midtown. I'll tell you that right now. But he, he gets them up and then it's like, Boom, the Heath charm turns on Horde, which is good and enjoyable, but also bad because this is just another movie that is sort of romanticized the like, just keep trying, even though the girl said no, which is like really kind of bad for everyone. But I think in reality, it's like, okay, that is not real. Girls do not want you typically to keep trying. No means no, unless you're Heath Ledger and then no means yes. If she keeps putting up her defenses, he's going to keep coming back and it's like this whole cat and mouse game that's very- Cat and mouse game. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Are you mad at yourself that you made that joke by accident? I'm happy that you plucked that out of there. Yeah, he just keeps trying and she seems into it. But yeah, that's a slippery slope for all the rest of society, but worth it for the dreamy dynamic in this movie, I guess. Yeah, he's doing everything that he can to- figure out her likes and dislikes. He follows her to a show where Letters to Cleo is playing. She's just owning the middle of the dance floor and he's like watching. They're at Club Skunk. And I'm sure a club like this exists somewhere, but I clocked one other man except for him in there. It's just a club for girls to dance to girl bands and it just looks awesome. If that happens in real life, it is a tidal wave of men that right. come in and take that thing over. That's, that's why they don't exist. Is because any dude that's like a club filled with all girls and then it becomes a guy club. I don't know. Maybe they have a great bouncer <laughs> outside or something like that. R.I.P. Club Skunk. But yeah, he's following her everywhere, which again, in real life, we do not advise following around a girl that has told you repeatedly no. When I was watching it, I kept thinking that Kat and Bianca are so mean to one another, specifically Bianca to Kat. There are times when Kat is like trying to open up to Bianca and then she just like shoots some cruelty towards her. Yeah, she shuts her down a lot. Okay, also this is another mark against the father. Here's how to make sure your daughters hate one another. Pin them against one another in every conceivable way. Right, right. Compare them to each other. One's happiness is dependent on the other's inability to change. That's a great way to forge a relationship between two people who need it so bad because their mother ran off. It seems like his method to parenting is really just comes down to like, you're not gonna get pregnant while you're under my roof. So as long as you're here, you're not gonna fuck up. And then whatever you do after that, it's on you. So Heath Ledger being Heath Ledger is obviously charming enough where he gets Kat to, well, 
she doesn't really agree to him, in fact, to go to Bogey Lowenstein's party, but Bianca basically begs her, and I think the combination of the two, Kat agrees to go. Also, something that I did not pick up on when I watched this when I was a kid was that this was not meant to be a party. I mean, I knew that, that it wasn't meant to be obviously a huge party, but I didn't realize that Michael was behind this becoming a huge party, and he was doing it as payback since Bogey Lonstein got him kicked out of future NBAs. I didn't get that even on this watch. I know that we see all, like the flyers being made and then tumbling down that stairwell, which is awesome. Iconic yeah. clip with that song that's like, sexy butt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was like yeah. pretty good, actually. Um, that was really good. Yeah, so Bogey Lonstein got Michael kicked out of future NBA. So Michael makes those flyers and throws them through the stairwell. And so that's why people right, are just right. crashing into his house. When he goes to answer the door. Oh, it must be Nigel with the brie. (laughs) It is not. It is, in fact, the entire school. This party is bumping, but of course, as soon as we get there, things don't really go as we'd hoped. Bianca is ditching Cameron because, of course, Joey's there, but I kind of love that almost immediately when they actually start having conversations, Bianca is smart enough to see through his really boring model talk, like his vapid posing and all of this. Very quickly, she's over Yeah, she could not care less. And she's kind of like looking over longingly to Cameron. I just don't know what this guy thought was going to happen in this conversation. (laughs) Right. Like, let me just sub in the hottest guy in school and what happens. Kat sees Bianca with Joey and tries to warn her and Bianca wants to hear nothing about it. And that kind of pisses off Kat to the point where she decides she's just going to get wasted on tequila shots. She's kind of like brushing off Heath Ledger the whole time and then hypnotized by Biggie comes on and Heath Ledger looks over and Kat is doing what can only be described as one of the most embarrassing white girl dances I've ever seen. Right. A lot of gyrating, a lot of hair flipping, very like wannabe coyote ugly, but also it's cool as shit. She's owning it, which is cool. Right. She has like a raw sex appeal about her. She really does. Oh, totally. And the director of Save the Last Dance clearly thought so as well because they saw that scene and took her on for that movie because of that scene. I mean, sure, if you like her energy and her attitude, but I wouldn't initially see that and be like, ah, yes, the makings of a great dancer. Yeah. Of course, all of this white girl gyrating, she hits her head on the chandelier and falls backwards into Heath's arms. He's going to like take care of this girl, even though she's going to throw up all over his shoes. Yeah, he's going to take care of this girl who's been horrible. But I think he like kind of fell in love with her like first sight because it doesn't feel like it's about the money at all. But somehow he still keeps taking it. But I think it's because to kind of screw Joey over. Right. Look, it's easy to take money from a spoiled rich kid who's an asshole, you know? I just think that he should have saw this coming, this blow up. Right, right. Like, of course, he's going to find out eventually. In the meantime, why not date this cool girl and take money from a dipshit? I'm just really surprised that Kat ever got over it, really. It's a dick move. And no matter what, the girl is going to be pissed. And no matter what, a girl's going to feel like property, like you're just trading them around, manipulating them. Them, like Pokemon. It's not a good look. But he does have this really, like we spoke of before, this really nice moment with Cameron when Cameron's kind of pissed off that Bianca's not hanging out with him and kind of like defeated and like, I'm giving up. It's off. The deal's off. He says to him, Joey's not half the man that you are. Don't let anyone tell you you don't deserve what you want. It is like a genuine moment between two genuine people in a very vapid environment. Yeah. So he goes for it. Heath continues to be a total gentleman and tries to keep Kat awake because he thinks she has a concussion and they kind of fall in love on the swing set. Yeah, except then she goes in to kiss him in the car and he rejects her, which I do truly think was the right move. She was drunk. She also probably still tastes like vomit. In all fairness to Heath. Right, so it's right on a couple different levels. And I'm sure he's also feeling like a little bit conflicted that he probably does want to kiss her, but he knows he's taking money for this and it's a little bit slimy. 
he basically just says maybe another time and this makes her essentially hate him which I get being embarrassed being turned down but I don't know if it would turn into that kind of white hot rage at least for me I agree he's being a gentleman and I can't really believe that Kat doesn't appreciate that about him and she is like the queen of kicking dudes in the balls who try to take advantage of her so I mean it's her pride essentially yeah I mean I think that we've got something here where she is this hardcore feminist but at the core of her, she's still just a teenage girl. Yeah, she finally let her guard down with this guy and starts like him and he rejects her, which is for a teenage girl, humiliating. For a grown girl, probably as well. For anyone, I guess. He starts to try to figure out how he can make it up to her and win her back. We've got Heath Ledger pulling out all the stops in the most iconic scene of the movie. And in my opinion, the best one where she is playing soccer and he turns on the microphone and gets on the loudspeaker and Uh. starts singing, you're just too good to be true. And it's really him singing. It's really Heath Ledger singing that song. If you are a heterosexual woman who watched this movie growing up and you can tell me that that scene didn't become everything you wanted for a guy to do for you, you're lying to me. This set the bar. Where it comes from is essentially, I think it's Cameron who says to him, look, you embarrassed her. So now you have to embarrass yourself. Oh, right. And it is just one of the most romantic things I've seen in cinema ever. Yeah, and every guy really should just hate this dude because he did set that bar so high. Like, I'm never going to do anything that Uh romantic in my life. (laughs) You've decided here and now. I decided that a long time ago. Probably as soon as I watch this movie. You're like, well, I should just give up now. I don't want to get chased by the cops. Oh, I love that. He's like still singing and Broadway running and spanking the security guards in their little tushies. Everyone on the soccer field is totally in love with him and the band is playing. That's right. He loops in the entire marching band. Girls just want to feel singled out and wanted. And girls just want to have fun from what I'm told. Right. From super indie one hit wonder <laughs> artist Cindy Lauper. Yeah, she got her big break on that movie. She got her it? big break in Romy and Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Roll back. If you don't get that joke, you should listen to episode three. That's on you. <laughs> he wins back Cat. But he does also win himself an afternoon in detention. But because Cat is so taken by his gesture, she goes to quite the lengths to get him out of detention, which I feel a little icky about, but you tell me what you think. Agreed. She barges into detention and is trying to distract the teacher, the gym teacher that just got shot in the butt, by the way. He walks into detention like in a suit. He's a little too suave. There's something creepy about him right off the bat. It only gets creepier because the way Kat distracts him is she flashes him. He doesn't turn away. When she flashes him, it's like a good maybe three to five seconds while she's letting him escape with her tits out and he's just staring. He's like another 60 seconds of this. I'm going to be really pissed. Any second now I'm going to react. And uh, he does not. And she just walks out. And nothing ever comes of it. It's totally fine. Yeah, we never yeah. we never hear of it again. He's just like, ah, oh, another day at the rodeo. Yeah, another day, another lawsuit. This might be neck and neck for me as best scene in the movie. And it is they go on to this epic date where they're rowing boats right up to this paintball park. They're running around. They're throwing these like giant paintball balloons at each other. They're covered in paint. Most fun date ever. He asked her to the prom. And you got to love that freaking witchy women's intuition. We all have it. We are all witches. Because she knows something's up. Besides the fact that maybe she has trust issues. She definitely has trust issues. She doesn't really have a reason to ask why. But she's automatically like, what are you getting out of this? Yeah, her defenses go up super fast. But then he gets a little uppity and very... Very gaslighty and is like, you should be in therapy. I just want to spend time with you. Oh, yeah. Uh, You're getting paid $300 to take her to the prom. Which in 2022, that is roughly (laughs) $10,300. I mean, that makes sense. If anyone could check that math for me, that'd be great. Yeah, let us know on the internet. So (laughs) Bianca, of course, is begging dad to go to prom. And I think he's like using a crunch master or something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's like, six. 
Seven. <laughs> and I just love the line where he's like all pissed off about her wanting to go to prom and having these expectations. And he's just like, those damn Dawson's River kids sleeping in each other's beds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so good. I really want to see the show Dawson's River Kids. It's just like a poorly drawn version of Dawson's Creek. You're right. It's just like some backwater high school kids falling in <laughs> love with each other's cousins. I don't want to wait oh. for our lives to be Bob yeah. and half. Such yeah. a bop. I also love that Bianca goes up to her room all like, boo, I want to go to the prom. And she's watching real world Seattle. It just says the real world Seattle. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, this is really the moment where Kat, she wants to make amends because she does feel bad that Bianca is not allowed to do any of the things that she wants to do. Can I just say, I don't think Kat needs to feel bad for anything. She doesn't, shouldn't have to date someone. No, she shouldn't. Oh, I'm sorry. My dad's like a psychopath. I guess she wants to make things cool between them because it's been a bit catty. Oh, nice. Caddy. Oh, that was an accident. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's been a bit catty. You know, I never had a sister, as you can tell by how much femininity I scream, but <laughs> I would imagine things can get tense, girl on girl. So she finally tells her that Kat and Joey went out freshman year. It was a time where she was really upset about her mom leaving and she had sex with him before she was ready and regretted it. And basically, because she didn't want to do it again, Joey broke up with her and I guess decided to make her life a living hell after that. I guess she also threatened him not to tell anybody or she would tell everyone how tiny his dangle is. I can't imagine anything more effective for that guy. <laughs> right. I can't believe she didn't just like keep going with that. It's like, and also you need to be nice to me. You have no limit to that blackmail. Like it's kind of a bad deal because even if she went out to the world and was like, oh, Joey Donner has a tiny pee-pee. And then he was like, yeah, well, we had sex. People would be like, Okay, yeah, obviously. Right. Yeah, you're just confirming it. She holds all the cards here. I think she should ask for more. I do get why Bianca is upset because Kat is coming from the place of like the older, wiser, older sister who's like, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made with the same assholes. And Bianca is kind of like, they should be my mistakes to make. I shouldn't have to take your word for it. We all made mistakes growing up, especially in high school and college age, where some things that feel really gross and yuck and not something we want to do again, but we learned a valuable lesson. And yeah, she's not really getting a chance to do that. She needs to live her own life and figure that stuff out for herself. I totally get that. I mean, she does bring it up at like a pretty inopportune time. It's right after her sister kind of opens up to her about this thing. And I thought that was kind of like a snapback a little bit. Could have been a bonding moment. And she's still like, well, this is still unfair. So get out of my room. Fucking harsh. Man, just those words coming out of my mouth. Like, I don't know the last time I said, get out of my room. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever said it. Yeah, you have siblings. Yeah, but when I was growing up, my sister wouldn't want to be in my room. <laughs> like ever. I think I did a lot of, get out of my room. Yeah. Yeah. My brother's listening. I love you. But get the fuck out of my room. <laughs> Turns out, Kat decides to go to the prom. Yeah, just kind of turns on a dime. The last thing that Bianca left her with resonated with her. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to do this. If not for myself, then for my sister. It seems like every time Kat takes a step forward, whatever we consider forward to be, or just into the dating world, parties, prom, it's really not so much about Patrick as you think. Like, obviously, she's starting to like him. But the breaking point is always her trying to make a stronger connection with her sister. Yeah, that's true. He's a vehicle for self realization i think the only issue is like the reason she's not doing those things is because she's basically like well if i don't set myself up i don't have to be disappointed and then she finally does go out on the limb and wouldn't you know it she gets disappointed which is heartbreaking those characters who are like i've steeled myself away from the world and it's like come on out come on out little bunny we won't hurt and you like, i knew i did this for a reason they immediately get shit on so Katja's is basically like, I'm going to the prom. She's ready. She dips. We see Bianca come down in her prom outfit, which I just find heinous. It's like a pink t-shirt, ballerina skirt combo. But I know that you, from the male's perspective, tell me what you think. Okay. I'm glad you asked because I don't know anyone who knows less about fashion than I do. <laughs> and I don't even know if anyone who loves Alex Mack as much as I do. And even I was like, this is a 
problem. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to make that person look not beautiful and they right. nailed it. Not her best look. So we roll up to the prom and could there be a cooler prom where we walk into this beautiful venue hearing a ska band play a cover of Shout. Save Ferris is the band that's playing at their prom and then Heath Ledger called in a little fave and Kat's favorite band, Letters to Cleo, hops on the stage. It's just such a sweet moment. I want it to end right there. It doesn't. Fortunately, we have one more major conflict. Joey comes up to Heath Ledger. My girl is with Cameron. It's like, I didn't pay you to go out with her for nothing. And then Kat hears that and her whole world just shatters. Which is fucked up because when she first gets to the prom, she apologizes to him for questioning his motives and he forgives her, which is so yucky. Dude. Yeah. Ugh, you know, it's just, it's gaslighty and gross. You don't even really see a flicker of guilt on his face in that moment. He's just like bought into the shit. In any other movie, you'd get the scene where it's like, I'm really sorry for judging you like that. And then he starts like, well, here's the thing. I meant to bring this up. And then he gets interrupted right before he says it. But he's totally willing to go without this ever coming back up. Right. He's just like, moving on. Cat finds out. He chases her out of the prom and she's just like, well, I'm right. As usual, everyone's a dick. Joey approaches Cameron and is pissed. Meanwhile, Bianca's in the bathroom. Her so-called BFF chastity, played by Gabrielle Union. She's terrible. Yeah, she sucks. Basically tells her like, oh, you were just a bet. Joey was going to bang you tonight. Rough. Rough. So, of course, she storms out of the bathroom just in time to see Joey punch Cameron in the face. And then Bianca punches Joey in the face, which is so gratifying. Twice. Twice. And he's shooting a campaign tomorrow. I mean, really, ladies and gentlemen, there's no bigger revenge you could pull on somebody who's wronged you who is an actor or a model than by like fucking up something even if you just like cut a little bit of their hair off before a big job (laughs) I mean it's one thing to get like kneed in the balls which he does but his balls aren't displayed shave off an eyebrow or you know put I need to stop giving y'all ideas but you get it (laughs) and everyone else is like super psyched to see him get punched and now he knows that she'll stick up for him and all is right in their world but not so right in the other relationship. I love this scene so much when we cut back to school on Monday and they had an assignment in class to rewrite a Shakespearean sonnet and Kat has that amazing scene where she's reading the poem that she wrote about him and she gets so emotional, it just breaks your heart. I have a couple fun facts about this. Yes, I was waiting for you to say that. Okay, she did that one take first take and she really cried and she wasn't supposed to. She was just supposed to read it like a book report. have goosebumps right now. Yeah, she got really overwhelmed by the emotion behind it. And then another thing, depending on your interpretation of the lines, her sonnet describes 10 things she hates about him. <gasps> Did you ever get that? No. And it's so Me clear. Neither. I hate it when you right. this and I hate it when you that. Oh, I hate it because I don't hate you at all. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I don't know how that went over my head. Same. I literally have goose pimples. Yeah, me too. Goosey twins. (laughs) Goose twins. To me, one of the most gut-wrenching lines in there is, you know, she says all these things she hates about him, but she also says, I hate that you didn't call. I guess he figured like, well, I'm screwed. But she was still, even though he fucked up, she was still hoping, you know, just like any girl would, like still hoping he would call to try and make it right. And he didn't. Uh, but you know she's still living her life you know we have this really great moment between father and daughter there's a good metaphor he's like the metaphor is that he's a coach watching his daughters grow up he's like you know bianca still lets me play a couple innings you've had me on the bench for years and then he lets her know that he's already sent in the first payment for sarah lawrence and she's elated so her family life is taken care of but she's still super bummed about keith you know she like was nastier about it when he refused to kiss her when she was drunk and in this it's like she's just hurt and sad she actually is in love with the guy and it softens her this blow and then we see her walk to her car after school and the fender guitar is sitting in the front seat of her car not just any fender a strat like stratford there it is she's stoked this is the guitar she was looking at in the store and she's been talking about wanting to start her own band and i guess it makes it okay that he took the money because he was planning to buy her something anyway 
I just think she is pretty forgiving pretty quickly for what I know about her. But I think they just need to wrap this movie up. Right, right. They're like, she can't be angry the whole time. Right. I think, too, like, she wanted him to make things right. Agreed. I mean, he basically tells her, like, they don't really beat around the bush, which is nice. He's just like, you know, I took some money to ask out this chick, but then I accidentally fell in love with her. She's like, yeah, I get it. I've seen this movie a million times. It makes sense. It happens. Yeah, Kat's like, oh, just like, she saw that. And he's like, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Which came out first. She's All That came out first. Is that true? I was just going to ask you. Okay. She's All That is in 1999. And this is also 1999. Both of these movies came out in the same year. But it's like all those movies, like The Prestige and The Illusionist came out in the same year because the studio that made The Illusionist was like, yeah, people will just by accident go see The Illusionist if they're trying to see The Prestige or like A Bug's Life and Ants. It happened the same way. Whoa. So this is more of a little tomfoolery to get people in the box office. Yes. And they're just like, I'm confused. I thought there would be more paint-covered overalls in this movie. Yeah. And that was how it was advertised as well. I thought there would be more bugs in this movie. <laughs> yeah. People get into the theater and it's just a bug's life. It's like, I thought this, she's all that. <laughs> I thought there would be more paint-covered ants in this movie. <laughs> Nice. I thought there would be more high school magicians in this movie. There are no magicians that are trying to one up one another. I don't know how I got here, but I love it. What can I say? She forgives him. They smooch it out. We pan up into the sky as our favorite band is playing the iconic I want you to want me on top of the school. Very like Beatles-esque. Yeah, very much so. I can give my final fun fact as well. Please. Letters to Cleo had to perform this song on a patch of roof that's like really small it's only pretty much big enough for them it is a tight squeeze for a full band yeah it's really small and it's a really windy day and they need you know there's no drones they need to have a helicopter i was wondering how they're getting that shot because it looks like a drone but obviously it's not no they've got a helicopter doing this and apparently i don't know if they need this shot <laughs> i wouldn't have done it they said to them this is a helicopter shot and it costs half a million dollars every time the helicopter has <gasps> to take off so don't fuck this oh. up my God. And they crush it. I mean, everything is perfect and it is really windy and they look like they're kicking ass. It doesn't look like they're really scared of being blown off by high winds. You know that that lead singer, she's of course wearing her 90s platform heels. She's got her butterfly clips in. She's crushing it, but also nearly getting blown off a roof. Yeah. I mean, we could have been talking about that crazy story about that movie that was being made where that woman fell off that thing that looks like Hogwarts <laughs> and they never made it. you like, Fun fact, that band all died. Yeah. And it was going to be exactly like She's All That. It's like, no. Something I liked as I watched through the credits was that the way they named the characters are like, beautiful girl, loser drunk guy. I saw one too. It was like, loser girl who cries or something like that. I was like, whoa. Right. Kissing guy, perky girl, screaming loser, screaming loser. crying loser. That was what I meant, yeah. They're they're all losers. Drugged out loser, <laughs> laughing loser, crying loser, screaming loser, it's detention like loser. Her character name is Kat Stratford. You don't have to like come at her like that. Just all her production nicknames. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. As tropey and obviously misogynistic as this movie is, it just really encapsulates my childhood. It was one of those movies that I was like, man, I cannot wait to get to high school. It's going to be crazy. And then of course, like it was not like that for me. Some people just have to have regular schools and regular towns. So what do you get? What, what's your rating on this one? I had a little bit of a tough time, to be honest. Obviously, the nostalgia factor for this one runs high for me. So I'm going to give this movie eight and a half bogey Lowensteins out of 10. Oh, that's an awesome one. Okay. <laughs> I am going to give this movie seven copies of The Feminine Mystique. Wow. Really yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> I like 10 Things I Hate About You better. Dan likes She's All That better. So reach out to us on socials. I'll put up some polls. Let us know which one you think is better. Whichever one of us loses, we'll have to reveal an embarrassing high school memory. I just made up this bet without Dan's consent, by the way. It's okay. It's going to come out eventually. So See you next week on Millennial Movie Club. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later, Later days. days.